Sex, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the speculative interdimensional vehicle, Sex in Space. Its mission, to explore new points of view, to seek out fresh opinions, to boldly go where so many have gone before, and still somehow manage to totally miss the point. Subscribe to Sex in Space, wherever quality podcasts are found. Hi there, I'm Tim and welcome back to Sex and Space, here continuing to explore sex across all of its infinite dimensions. Hope you're all doing great. If you're loving yourself a bit of Sex and Space, there are lots of ways you can support us. Head on over to sexandspace.com forward slash shop to check out our lovely merch. Our book, The Organ That Education Forgot, a little book about the clitoris, is also available at sexandspace.com forward slash book. You can grab it as a downloadable PDF or as a fabulous print version. Remember, you can also show your support by liking, rating, and subscribing wherever you found us. There is more awesome Sex and Space content over at TikTok and Instagram. Our handle is sexandspace.com. That's sexandspace.com. This is episode 36, part one of two. I had the incredible privilege of chatting with Kath Hackinson. Kath runs Sex Ed Rescue, a better way to talk to kids about sex. Sex Ed Rescue can help you with giving age-appropriate answers to tricky questions about sex, starting conversations that feel natural and guided by your personal values, and having a closer relationship where your child knows that they can ask you about anything, no matter what. In part one, we cover the origins of Sex Ed Rescue and talking with your kids about porn. Tune into part two, where we cover diversity and pleasure. Let's get into it. Thank you so much for coming on Sex and Space. Um, very excited to talk to you about Sex Ed Rescue. Um, why did you start? How did you start Sex Ed Rescue? Oh, I've always worked in sexuality. I oh, yeah. did my nurses training and I went overseas, came back to Australia and I needed to earn some money and I applied for four jobs in Darwin. Catherine, Alice Springs, and another place called Tennant Creek, which is like in the centre of Australia. And I got offered a job at Alice Springs. So I went over there and I worked in a diarrhea ward of all places. Hang on. (laughs) Diarrhea. (laughs) And then a friend was working in an Aboriginal community outside of Alice and said, hey, we're looking for a nurse, come join us. So I went and started what we called bush nursing. And this was back in the early 90s. And this was when we'd had the Grim Reaper, HIV, AIDS, advertising, which the federal government did, which terrified the whole nation about everyone catching HIV and dying of AIDS. So the state government at that time was a bit worried that if we got HIV into our Aboriginal communities, because there was so much unsafe sex going on, that it would decimate the population. Mm. So they threw a heap of money into sexual health. So I went out there and they said, oh, you're a female, you're young, you know, off you go, you can do all the um, STI screening. So I had to learn how to do pap smears, I had to learn about STIs, went off and did training on, you know, first time I ever did an examination. I'd never even stuck a speculum in a vagina before. So I got thrown in the deep end and I loved it. And I discovered that I 
was actually really good at helping the women feel more relaxed and comfortable. So I was doing that and then I went off and did my midwifery, but eventually you burn out with working in these communities because there's a lot of violence. It's pretty mm. full on. And another friend rang up and said, hey, Kath, we've got a job in Kalgoorlie, which is like a mining town where there's like 10 men to one female. He said, we need someone for our STD clinic and our public health nurse. So I said, yeah, okay. So I packed up the dog and off we went over to Kalgoorlie. And that was when I then really started practicing in sexual health as in an STI nurse where every Monday, Tuesday, you'd be busy from everyone coming in after their weekend of unsafe sex. So I did this for a long while. And then a friend had a friend who was running a sexology course. And I started then, I was getting a bit bored with working in sexual health STIs because yeah. it was the same old stuff and it was a bit same boring. people coming through so yes yeah, same people <laughs> getting asked out by a lot of them as well telling them yeah. they've got gonorrhea and then it's like hey what are you doing on Friday night want to hook up and it's like don't think so so anyway a friend had a friend who was running the sexology course um, and I chatted to her and I thought suddenly started thinking oh this actually sounds really interesting actually Rather than, you know, cleaning up the mess that happens after sex, actually going psychologically going into the bedroom with them and helping them to have better sex. Mm. And so I really developed an interest in sexual desire, sexual arousal, orgasm stuff. So I started running a clinic for women that were having, you know, were bored with their sex life. They were having sexual pain and it was fantastic. I loved it. And I thought, this is my happy space. This is me forever. Then I had kids, and I remember a three, walking into the lounge room and a three-year-old masturbating madly and, and then humping, rubbing against the car seat as you're driving, and there was some sexual abuse happening in my family on the other side of Australia, which terrified me because it made me think, God, that could have been my kid. Mm. And then I had this epiphany, and it was like, oh, maybe I need to start thinking about sex education. So I'd gone into schools and I'd done sex education, you know, educating other people's kids, mm. but I was sitting here with a three-year-old masturbating with all this sexual abuse happening on the other side of Australia with my family thinking, what do I do? Mm. How do I start? So I, I'd learnt nothing about sex education with kids in my sexology training, which is crazy. They still don't really cover it. And I then went through this thing of, okay, well, I'll go out and find some information. So the family planning associations had a little bit of info, and the most I could find was a four-page flyer, which they still have, actually. And I remember reading it thinking, so what do I do? If I talk about this stuff, am I giving them permission to be sexual? Is my kid going to be the one at school teaching everyone else what blowjobs are and this sort of stuff? So I then started talking to other people and realised that they were just as clueless as me about sex education. And there were books, but it was like you'd get a book an inch thick and that was supposed to teach you everything you knew to have conversations with your kids. Mm. And I thought, well, this is bollocks, you know. This is just, you know, no wonder people can't do it and then you come across sex educators like me criticizing parents for doing it wrong and shaming them for believing mm -hmm. in abstinence and stuff so I then thought okay maybe I could do something about this so I started while working being a parent working I started realizing that I had this opportunity to use everything I'd learned from my you know 
eccentric sexual health background where I'd worked in prisons, detention centres, communities. I'd worked in so many settings. So I decided to set up Sex Ed Rescue to help parents. Um, I remember I, t this is, I was still building the website and trying to work out what to do and I turned around to my partner one night and I said, look, I think I'm going to have to just give up on this. I said, I just can't be a mum, I can't work three days a week and I can't do this sex ed thing. And mm. he said, well, look, you know, we looked at our finances and he said, you know, we might have to stop having holidays <laughs> and the kids won't be going to private schools, but, you know, why don't you give up work? So I resigned, which was crazy. I still remember my first day, dropped the kids off at school, sitting there at my computer and thinking, what next? Yeah. I was totally clueless, didn't know what I was going to do. Had all these visions of going into schools and running stuff and then quickly realised that in the state where I am, schools don't get people in to do sex ed. They can get away without it. Mm. So then I started thinking about, well, I've always lived in the bush, I've always lived in the country, and the thing that annoyed me the most about being in the country was that if I wanted to attend a workshop about how to do sex education, I'd have to drive to the city, pay for accommodation, drag the kids. And it was just that fact that serv services were inaccessible. So I thought, okay, I'll work in the online space because there's heaps of shame around sex. Mm. You know, no one's going to sit there and say, oh, what were you doing on the weekend? Oh, drove to Perth or, you know, I, I went to this one-day workshop on how to talk to your kids about sex. Yeah, they just yeah. don't... They want that privacy and they're not yeah. going to sit at the park and go, oh, you know... Um, Kids were, you know, walked into the bedroom the other day and the kid was humping the dog and they're not going to share that stuff at yeah, the park. Yeah. So I was really aware that I wanted to create something that was accessible but something that was also people could safely access without, you know, feeling shame or worried mm. about what other people were thinking. So I started Sex Ed Rescue and it sort of slowly grew and I was still trying to work out myself what sex education was about, yeah. which was really interesting. So when I first started, I based it very much around the ages of what my kids were. So I started off with, you know, the, the younger years stuff. And then as mm. my kids have got grow, have grown older myself, I've started talking more about the older age groups. And that's mainly because I realised that when I sit and talk to my kids, I'm doing it as a parent. I'm not doing it as an educator, standing in a classroom in a school, and the conversations are just so different. They're yeah. worlds apart. They really are. And, um, yeah, so, um, yeah, right. that's sort of the backstory as to how I sort of ended up where I am. Well, it's brilliant. I mean, um, I guess it, the, what you said about the... The kind, I guess, access to the schools or um, what different states, um, what the rules are for different schools in different states, what they're obliged to teach by the curriculum and all that kind of stuff. My next question was literally going to be um, why target parents um, and, the, and the importance of that, like versus, you know, I suppose, yeah, what people should be learning in schools. But it feels like it's a much if the parents can be educated themselves, which is exactly what you're doing, it's a much richer experience, maybe. That's true. Yeah. yeah. I was working... I was running a sex therapy clinic, and the, I really... St I'm quite... I, I, 
my brain is always running 100 miles an hour and I often get ideas and things interest me and I was really starting to notice that I had two groups of people coming in and, you know, the sob stories that you get working as a sex therapist, you're exposed to so much that, of you know, you're literally going into the bedroom with them and they're sharing mm. stuff with you that they would never share with anyone else. And what I was noticing, there was, there was two different types of people. I would have some people come in and they would have a few sexual problems, but we could wrap it up and I could help them resolve those issues and move on and start having, you know, continue having good sex in their relationship. And, you know, sex is an important part of a loving relationship and then I was getting others and I was noticing that they were taking longer to repair and when I started digging deeper try to work out so why is this one responding really well and improving but this one's taking you know five to ten sessions to dig through all their baggage and I really started to notice that the ones that were struggling and were having the problems were the ones that had no sex education or they'd been given really negative shameful messages mm. and I started um, thinking about this thinking well you know Surely if they'd actually their parents had maybe had some conversations with them and not left them as ignorant or hadn't given them so many shameful messages about abstinence, they'd be in a different situation now. Mm. So because I'd always worked in preventative health, I, I didn't work in acute health, it was always public health, long-term goals. So because I was used to that way of thinking, I started thinking, what if I could do something and I could start helping parents to have these conversations you know, that would then mean that when their kids are growing, grown up, they're going to ha have more of a chance of having a healthy, happy, safe sex life, which then means they're going to have better relationships as well. So I started thinking about this sort of thing about, you know, this about what is sex education and, and what, you know, why do we have these conversations with our kids? And mm -hmm. so that was sort of the reason why I also pivoted towards helping with parents because I just realised that they had so much opportunity. I was also privileged because I was working in an area where I was talking about sex all the time and so most of my colleagues were comfortable talking about sex and they were all parents and their kids were all 15 to 20 years older than mine. So I could unpick their brain and talk to them about how did they parent, how did they deal with sexuality and it was really interesting to see that their kids were comfortable, their kids were talking to their children about sex and also their kids were still coming back and talking to their parents about sex. So a 30 year old would come home and still talk to mum about something. Yeah. And as I started doing having these conversations myself and digging in deeper, I had this sort of epiphany and it was like, wow, this isn't just about sex education. This is about actually having a better relationship with my kids so that when they're a teen, they're not going to feel alone like I did because I couldn't yeah. talk to my parents. And this was the thing that really, for me, cemented the fact that this was my new happy space, sex education, because yeah. it was having a huge impact on that parent-child relationship where kids were actually able to make smarter decisions about sex. 
And because all the parents I were working with, most of them were saying, I don't want my kid to grow up alone like I was. I don't want them to make the mistakes that I made. So, yeah, so it was that sort of the backstory as to why I really only work with parents because yeah. I just feel that they've got so much potential to change the future for their kids and to break that cycle of shame. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's oh, that, That's really interesting because, yeah, I guess schools can only do so much, right? Um, you know, it's not a long-term sort of thing, unpicking the deep issues. Yeah, shame, pleasure, the whole thing. It's got to be a little bit of both. No yeah. one yeah. can do a perfect job, like even me. I don't do a perfect job with my own kids. And I think it's about lots of different places. So mm. if we can be talking, but then if schools can also come in as well and provide information, they can sometimes fill in the gaps. Mm. And also, yeah. as we know, as kids grow up, as they get older and older, they turn less to us and more to other people. No, that's. I think it's true. I mean, <clears throat> the other thing that I guess we've crashed into a few times um, just doing this podcast is that actually we're all kind of still learning. It's it's funny, isn't it? Sex ed is like, oh, it feels like you've got to wrap it up in a little bow and like, oh, I've done that now. Whereas it's kind of not really true. Oh, <laughs> no. Crashing around, learning oh, new stuff God. all the time. So Yeah, you should see um, my list of things that I've got on my <laughs> list of things I want to learn about this year and next year. It's Yeah, yeah you're right. You never know everything. Um, we're always learning more. And I used to see that as a sex therapist yeah. where you would see couples still had so much to learn about themselves as well in regards mm. to their sexuality. Yeah. So interesting. The, um, the stuff that you sort of deal with, I see you've broken it into the, into the um, well, the three parts that I was really interested in is, is sex ed 101. So mm. not the birds and the bees, but I imagine that's a, that's a broad topic um you know and then puberty is its own sort of thing as well um and then and then porn now yeah. is, porn a, is porn something that you sort of expected to be talking about when you started this no, or is, no not at all like um, a recent <laughs> yeah it's yeah. it's and it's been parental demand and i fought the porn thing because i did not want to be seen as the porn person mm. um just about the more and the more parents reached out to me the more i realized that they needed help mm. and um my kids were also at that age as well like i i don't think i'll ever forget the first porn conversation i had with my kids some conversations you just don't forget but being a parent myself i was realizing how you know i i'd worked as a sex therapist i've talked to people about things that are so personal but here i was struggling to talk to my own kids about porn mm. and and then i would have all these fears so i finally decided that instead of writing a book i'd create a course so i remember sitting here one day typing away working out what was going to be in this course and my son who was eight or nine at the time was on the computer next to me and i'm sitting here thinking shit you know if maybe God, maybe I shouldn't be doing this because maybe by me talking to him about porn might actually make him curious and he might then go out and look for it and then he might start watching it. And then I've created this problem that I naively started. And it was really interesting as I was creating this course, I had to stop myself and say, whoa, Kath, you're putting up all these reasons not to talk. So I then had to unpack it. And that's why the work I do is quite different. Um, 
because I've worked with people for so long, I'm very aware that I can tell a parent everything they need to know about pornography. I can tell them how to start the conversation, what to say, everything. But if they're sitting there going, yeah, Kath, I hear you, but what if they start watching porn? What if I spark a curiosity? And everything I've just said to them has gone in one ear and out the other because mm. they don't want to harm their child. So the safest option is to just not talk. So whenever I create anything, I'm very much into, okay, what's going to stop you from having this conversation? And let's talk about that let's yeah. face our fears and our what ifs and get rid of those little lingering doubts now because you're you're not going to learn anything until you know that you're not going to harm your child by talking and i yeah. think that's really important oh, um, i think i think you've nailed it really um a word actually that jumped out at me looking at your site was protecting kids from porn and i guess i wanted to um because obviously there's a lot, of, a lot of ideas around around how to do that. Um, mm. I suppose, but firstly, I suppose you you consider that that is possible to protect kids from porn. But with what you're sounds like what you're saying is it's through um, probably just gearing up, gearing them up for when they come across it, as opposed to complete blinkers. It's not there. Mm that kind of thing is am i right in that Does yeah yeah through your sort of yeah. your porn plan yeah <laughs> kids can't make smart decisions about something that they're clueless about mm. i remember when i was a child i grew up in a little country town which was all sweet and innocent and then dad got a transfer and we moved to a country town that was out in the bush and it was really it was a rough town and i remember going to school and the kids talking about sex and being gay and sex workers and stuff and i was totally innocent and my innocence was totally destroyed then so i learned about sex in a really shameful way because i was being made fun of because i was innocent and knew nothing so i'm a big believer uh, that um that you know you can talk to kids about pornography and still keep their innocence mm. and conversations that we have actually protect our children and keep their innocence so it's very much about um having conversations with them so that they're prepared because this is the thing as parents ourselves if you sit back and think about your own adolescence being a teenager those early years of being an adult and if you think about some of the regrets that you've had and some of the bad decisions that you've made most no. of them were made through ignorance yeah like if my parents had actually had conversations with me i'm sure i wouldn't have screwed as many guys as i did in my young young my you know young adult years mm. because i was totally clueless and and parents don't want this to happen to they want their kids to not make the mistakes they made so if we can have conversations and if we can prepare our children so they know what to do when they come across something then they're more likely to, first of all, not be scarred or traumatised by what they saw, but also to be able to have, you know, to help their kids to be able to make smarter decisions about what they see as well. Mm. So we're talking, what, what sort of age are we starting talking to kids about porn? I'm a little I, I know they find it pretty young. I'm uh, a little bit different. As soon yeah. as you see a mum or a dad at the supermarket with a kid and a phone in front of them, like how many toddlers do you see? You can even get little um, 
frames now that you can put on the front of a pram or on a shopping trolley that you can slip your phone into so the kid can sit there and watch um, ABC Kids or something while you're shopping. So my attitude is that as soon as kids are getting a device to play with and so basically from the age of three we need to be talking to them about sometimes they'll find stuff that's scary because I have had so many parents reach out to me and they might be sitting at the pool watching a kid have a swim lesson chuck the phone to the other kid and then realize a month later that the other kid's sitting there watching porn on their phone and they're oblivious to it even though they're right next to them yeah so phones, parents and phones, it's like yeah. it's often the first way that they discover it. Yeah. But, yeah, we need, as soon as they start accessing the internet, um, you need to be prepared. You need to be thinking yourself about how can I keep them safe. Mm. I'm pretty sure that um, statistically, you know, kids, kids have been exposed to porn by the time they're about 10 or 11, isn't yeah. that right? Yeah, and is that I guess that's an average. I mean, but that that can happen in so many different ways. But with new technology and stuff like that, yeah, school, being at school, other their peers, phones, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's what are, how do those conversations progress when they actually find yeah. it? Yeah, this is why as parents we need to be proactive and talking because when you look at how kids develop at about that age, nine, ten, eleven, twelve they're starting to see their friends changing. So they're starting to see puberty and they're noticing that the other kids are starting to grow beards or the girls are getting boobs and they're noticing differences. So they then look at their own body and they're curious and they're like, well, what change is going to happen? So they turn to the internet with their questions about bodies. Now, I don't know what your internet searches are like, but whenever I throw anything into Google at my end, I get a lot of pornography and I get a lot of sexually explicit images. Occasionally, Google will throw up a warning, but... That didn't last for long. Um, But, um, yeah, so it's really easy to find stuff because they're curious. So this is why we're seeing so many kids at that age of 10, 11 discovering pornography because they're they're not going out there to look at it. Now, some of them will be learning about sex as well. Some will already know that it's a way to make a baby and adults do it because it's fun and some people do it for a job and lots of different things. But they get curious about the mechanics because it's a bit like... um, You know, if you know you're going to be learning how to drive a car, you might Mm. want to actually go and learn what the rules are and just learn a little bit more about cars so that you're more prepared. And that's sort of the approach they take about sex as well, is the fact that they're curious about the mechanics of it because they know it's something that one day they're going to... They think they have to do it. Mm. So they're, like, thinking, okay, well, what's the mechanics? What's, like, step one, step two, step 3.A? So they also turn to the internet to start finding out about sex as well. And then they're finding pornography. And, yeah. and when you think about it, it's like a trauma, um, sometimes being exposed to sexually explicit stuff. I was, there used to be this fantastic website about 15 years ago, and it was written for parents about the porn talk. And it was fantastic. And I'd found it, and then I'd forgotten about it, and then I found the, the link, the name of it again. So I typed it into Google, and popped up on the screen was this, and I've got a big computer screen, was all these images of guys having sex with each other. And their bodies were beautiful, but they were all in these really, you know, obvious sexual 
paid poses and huge penises and stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it was a bit of a shock for me because it wasn't what I was expecting to see. Right. Or oh, someone um, had taken over the URL. Yeah. And oh, it's okay. like, yeah, yeah. So that yeah. website had expired. And a porn site, I joke that I could sell Sex Ed Rescue to a porn site for more than anyone else would ever pay for it because I get so much traffic coming my way. So the porn sites, as soon as these people don't renew their website name, they snap them up and fill it with porn. Right. Um, So, you know, this was quite a shock for me. And it's like when I I get a lot of dick pics sent to me, people for some reason think I want to see pictures of their genitals. So whenever I get an email and there's an attachment, it's always that initial shock because you don't expect to see this huge penis with a smile behind it or some person. And kids are very much the same. So if we think ourselves how we feel when we get exposed to stuff, and, you know, I've seen I've worked in sexual health. I often joke I've seen more genitals than a sex worker would have seen because I probably have. And so I'm okay with this sort of stuff. But if I can feel confronted and shocked when it pops up suddenly in my face, how's a kid going to feel when she might be getting slapped and she looks like she's enjoying it but she's making sounds as if she's in pain? It's Mm. pretty traumatising stuff for kids. So I think that we need to look at porn sometimes as a trauma as well because a lot of kids are traumatised by it mm. when they're younger and they don't have an understanding of what sex is about. And yeah. then they look at it and they think, is that what I'm going to have to do one day? Terrifying, yeah. Yeah, especially yeah. when they've, got no, they've had no conversations. Mm. I mean, do, do you see that playing out with, um, in sex therapy work as well, that, that they are trying to enact Yes, from with parents, yeah. yeah. Um, get a lot of stories. Well, yeah, do get parents' stories from parents where kids are acting out stuff. And then mm. anecdotally, a lot of parents share their stories of their teens. It does happen, but I think, I don't think it's, like if we looked had a bucket of 100 people who were sexually active who'd watched porn and were teenagers, I would, from from my readings and personal experiences, I'd probably say... I wouldn't say that they're all expecting that that's what sex is about. I would say maybe 10 to 20% would think that that's what they have to do in the bedroom themselves. Mm. I don't think it's all doom and gloom. We yep. get a lot of negativity. There's, oh, well, you would know. There's a heap of negativity about pornography in children. Mm. A lot of it is scaremongering and a lot of it, like, you know, you and I could read the same research paper and I would take something different out of it to what you would take out of it because yep. my questions are going to be different to your questions so I see what I want to see Um, there's a guy in Australia I think his name's Alan McKee he does a lot of research into pornography and he got a bucket of money to do to do a um, what do they call it when they look at the research from the previous 50 years they go in and they look at it I can't remember Mm. the jargon it's something (laughs) academic there's a term for it anyway and he went back and he looked at the last 50 years of research to see whether porn was harmful to children and he said we don't know because we've been asking the wrong questions we no one's asked questions that explore a lot of these things all the research that's been funded has been with the goal of proving that porn is harmful Uh, not asking is porn harmful but show us how harmful porn is. So he said, we still don't know enough. And there's different people speaking up and saying, well, we're not seeing all our teenagers having porn sex. Um, 
some a lot of kids are smart enough to realise or they're having conversations with their parents and they're doing their own research and they're realising that what they see on screen doesn't always mean what happens in the bedroom. So, yeah, we had a story in Australia which keeps getting thrown out about a GP who's seeing lots of um, genital trauma from porn-enacted sex. Yeah. So, yeah, we do hear about that. interesting, though, that the... The, the, the take on on those on those studies and the things about questions because I feel like it is there's obviously asking the right questions but it is also new uh, I mean it's evolving so fast like you sort of said earlier and me to a certain degree we've all had different experiences because this is a, a relatively new phenomenon the access mm-hmm. that that we've got I mean you know for your teenage boys it'll be different again um to how it was you know i'm 42 like i still have to get my porn from the hedgerows <laughs> um you know um and yeah for my kids it's it's going to be different again so one um, click away yeah keep keeping track of of that i mean you hear that that porn does have an effect um you know whether it's body um shame genital shame whether it's the act itself or um expectations um yeah it's it's interesting but i i like the fact that um maybe it's not all total doom and gloom um and and yeah our thing is completely that porn isn't going anywhere so Mm. you just have to get ready for porn really it's It's not vaping it's smoking drugs driving car accidents it's just another conversation about Mm. safety and that's how we need to think about it it's like if you don't talk to your kids about drugs and alcohol they're going to have to make their own decisions about it and they're going to have no knowledge so they can't make an informed decision Mm. so that's what i'm a big believer of that if we can talk to our kids we can then empower them with knowledge and then they can actually make they can make informed decisions for themselves yeah they'll sometimes make stupid decisions because the brain's still developing until they're like mid-20s but at least you know they've got a better chance of making a smarter decision with a bit of knowledge no you're absolutely right and you know people make daft decisions all the time with all the training and uh, education in the world yeah. Um, but you're take right driving, about, for instance. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But you're right. Porn is a new issue. It's like vaping. Um, my kids, the school my kids go to has got a parent thing about vaping. And my daughter said, are you going to go? I said, well, why? It's just, it's just a conversation like all the other conversations we have about drug and alcohol. So, mm. no, I don't need to go and learn how to talk about vaping. And parents, I think, with pornography, though, they really struggle because porn is so different, especially if they're not consuming it themselves. They're a little bit clueless. Um, and then a lot, some parents who are consuming a lot of porn are like, ah, oh, they'll be okay. I was watching it from a young age and I turned out okay. So there's a real range of different sort of reactions yeah. from parents. But porn itself, it's not lovey-dovey baby-making sex. So parents themselves have got their own hang-ups about porn and they might have a memory of being caught reading a dirty magazine as a kid and being shamed for it. Mm. And so it's it's a triggering topic and it pushes a lot of buttons, which I think is why parents find it even harder to talk about. Yeah, it's it's interesting. um, The different types of porn and, and the way that porn has evolved 
And I think it's not... It can go in a... You can get quite depressed and think that it's going in a terrible direction, but there are the, the, the seedlings of, you know, ethical porn um, and stuff like that 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 are out there, and so they can be also be part of an education conversation, potentially. I've often wondered how you'd approach that, but it's like, if you're going to watch porn... Maybe you should consider paying for it, or maybe you should uh, consider. I really recommend this site. You know, yeah. <laughs> I don't know that that's a conversation I'd want to have with my kids, but um, you know, maybe a framework around um, how you could think about it. You know, yeah. do you think that person is consenting into that, or mm. you know, is it is it a, a problematic theme in terms of age or race or something like that? So, yeah, yeah those sorts of yeah. things. That's the approach I take, the ethical approach. It's a bit like my son will sometimes be sitting here, someone will have sent him a movie that they've downloaded for free and he'll start watching it and his sister will come along and go, well, you know, people, you know, sure, the movies, companies make a lot of money and actors make a lot of money, but, you know, that's their intellectual copyright. They've mm. worked hard to get to that stage or, you know, you really should be accessing movies or downloading music in an ethical way where the, yeah. the maker actually gets what they deserve from it rather than... And so we can have those conversations. If we can start getting our kids to think ethically, it's like littering, mm. um, if we can get them thinking about, well, why don't we drop our rubbish on the street? Because it's not good for the environment and our beaches can be disgusting when they're full of rubbish. And it's, yeah. yeah. So if we can have those ethical conversations with kids from a young age, they're all, that means that they're already starting to think critically. They're mm -hmm. not just accepting stuff and going with the flow. They're going, well, why do we have that rule? And then they think about it. And that exact same thing about porn, that we can get them to actually think about the pornography that they're consuming. I, um, I like to keep up to date and there's an American organisation that does a lot of training around harmful sexual behaviours in children and they had a two hour session on pornography and I thought I'll, t I'll attend and see if I actually learn anything. Only walked away with walked away with two different things. One of them was the fact that teenagers aren't actually watching porn to masturbate. A lot of them are actually watching to learn. Right. And a lot of them are watching it just for a laugh, for entertainment. Oh, look what he's doing there. Oh, look at her. And they're, they're watching it for entertainment, yeah. which has an impact on their values in regards to how they, how they see women and mm. the stereotypes in porn as well about Afro-American men are usually portrayed as a rapist mm -hmm. or a thug or as being naughty sex. These are harmful stereotypes. Yeah, yeah. And if you have conversations with, you know, racism, I, you know, it came across racism about a week ago and I was talking to my kids about it at the dinner table and I said, look, I didn't know whether I should speak up and say something, but it was an old lady. And yep. I thought part of me was thinking, be respectful, she is older. But then what she said was so racist. So I chose not to say anything because I thought it's not going to change her at all. No. And I came home and thought about it, but then I had this guilt about letting this racist comment go. And I talked to my kids about it. We had a great conversation about racism. But if we can talk about that stuff, there's a very good chance that when they're watching porn, they're going to start picking up on the racism and the stereotypes as well. In yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Which is no, that's really good.
Really hope you enjoyed that. Remember to check out part two where we talk diversity and pleasure. Before we sign off, we want to remind you to check out our book available at sexandspace.com forward slash book to download and buy. Don't forget to leave us a like, follow, comment or review wherever you're tuning in from. Your support means the world to us. Until next time, safe travels and see you on the next episode.